Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Jesus Christ, and I hope you will join me in that today. Um, I wanted to show that video to begin because today we're beginning a new series, and, and I think it would be very helpful for understanding a little bit of what we're talking about through the next few weeks. So this new series that we're beginning is, is a very short series. It'll only be three weeks long, but it's also a very short portion of Scripture. So in these next three weeks, uh, we're going to be covering just 11 verses of Scripture, just 11 verses. And the passage that we're going to be covering, it comes from a story about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you're familiar with your Bible, uh, you may know this story. It's from Matthew chapter 4, and it tells the story of Jesus being uh, tempted by Satan. So it's a story of Jesus right before he begins his ministry, um, and he, he, he's led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. So what we've titled this series is Temptations, a series called Temptations. And what we're going to be looking at throughout the next three weeks are three ways in which Jesus was tempted, but he overcame Satan. And so there's a lot of uh, depth in just these 11 verses. Uh, this passage shows us that like Jesus... We can overcome temptation by the power of the Spirit. It also shows us uh, the, the importance of knowing scriptures. We'll see that this was the primary way that Jesus uses to rebut Satan, is by knowing God's word better than him. And so I hope you can join us for the rest of this series. Uh, as I said, there's a ton of depth in this passage, and, and I'm excited to learn more about it together with you. Um, I don't know if you've ever believed uh, a lie in your life before, right? It's a very frustrating thing when you do, though, right? I've believed many lies before. Uh, when I was a child, I believed the lie that I needed, like, the, the latest toy to be happy. Um, also, when I was in high school, I believed that if I did all the things that my friends did, like drink and smoke and party, then I would be accepted by them. Um, and after high school, I believed the lie that physical intimacy with girls, girlfriends would, would bring me closer to them. And so all these lies, what they have in common was that they promised some sort of life that they could not live up to, right? They all promised life in some sort of way, whether that was happiness, acceptance, intimacy. Uh, they offered life in a way that they could not fulfill. I'm sure we've all believed lies like this before, and that's a bit about what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about the temptation to believe the lie that God is not enough and that life can be found by disregarding what he has to say. And so today I want us to, to really examine our hearts and, and ask the question, is God enough? No matter what you have in life, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, is God enough? I'll begin, we'll begin here by reading our text for today. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to follow along. 
uh, will really help today as we're kind of going to be jumping around um, for, uh, a little bit in the, the Old Testament and some of the new. Um, it will be Some of it will be on the screen, but if you have a Bible or your phone, if you have a Bible app, it will, will uh, help us to, to follow along. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And, and I'd like for us to read the first 11 verses today as they tell the whole story of Jesus being tempted. But then we're just going to be discussing the first four verses of that today. So let's read what it has to say. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our text for today. Hey God, we thank you for uh, just the ability to, to be here as a church. Um, we thank you for everyone in this room, and just the, the privilege it is to, to get to know them and, and, and see how you're working in each one of their lives. God, we ask that as we begin this series and we go through the next few weeks that you would showing us how uh, you, you can work in our lives and, and we would see the beauty of Jesus in these passages. Um, we see that he passed the test that we've failed and God, we thank you that he uh, did that. You sent him to, to, to do that and, and that we have um, a new life in, in him when we put our faith in him. God, we, we look to Jesus in everything that we do. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's begin to unpack our text today. Again, as we mentioned, just looking at the first four verses here. Uh, so to begin, there's a couple things that I want to just note. Um, first thing to note uh, here is the humanity that we see in Jesus here. Right? When, when, when talking about overcoming the temptations in this passage, there's some people who will claim, well, Jesus was only able to do this because he was God. Right? He's only able to, to actually pass this test because he himself is God. And uh, as, as if that would somehow nullify what he did here. But what we see here is that Jesus was a real person who felt the same things as we do. Right? The first two verses describe Jesus as Jesus was led up into the desert to be tempted. It says that he was there for 40 days and nights and that he was hungry. Okay? He's hungry. I don't know if about you, but it, it, I get very moody when I'm hungry. Um, I'm sure we've all seen like those Snicker commercials. It's like you're not, this, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Right? You guys have seen those commercials. Um, 
The thing is about that is like you really are yourself. You're just a version of yourself that you don't, that's not very flattering to others, right? It's really who you are, but you're just hungry and you're not a nice person. Um, I can say that for myself too though, right? Um, I know that, that I don't act very well when I'm hungry. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I got into an argument with, uh, with my wife, Melissa, um, because we were both very hungry. Um, we, we, were, uh, we were arguing over food. Both of us were really tired and hungry. And, uh, and we were like, who's going to make dinner tonight? And we're like, no one wanted to do it just because we were both like super, super grumpy. Right? Anyone get like that when they're hungry? Yeah? I, am I the only one? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we're all kind of like that when we're hungry, right? Jesus here, he is hungry, right? He hasn't eaten for 40 days. I'm irritable when I haven't eaten for four hours. Um, the point, though, is that we see his humanity as he's here in the desert. He gets hungry like the rest of us. Um, we see in Hebrews 4, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus, in his humanity, was tempted just like us, and yet he overcame the temptations by trusting in God the Father. Another thing that I want us to see as we begin here is that Jesus here, he's led by the Spirit. So in his humanity, he goes into the wilderness by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. One thing I want us to, to make clear is that God sometimes tests us but he does not tempt us. Right? Like we saw in the, the video earlier, God gives us tests as an opportunity to prove our loyalty and responsibility. And in that, the devil tries to tempt us to distrust God and to switch our allegiance. We see in, verse, uh, in James, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Right? And so th in this situation, Jesus has the opportunity to prove himself loyal to the Father as he enters into this test. It's a test from God, but a temptation from the devil. So as we start uh, to get into our text, for the first thing that I want us to ask is this question. What is this first temptation? Right? If we look at the first four verses, what is the temptation here? Uh, and, and I think on the surface, it might be difficult to see what the problem is in this situation. Right? Jesus is hungry, and Satan says, he says, turn these stones into bread right, to eat. What's the problem with that, right? Well, well while it might not be apparent for us what the problem is, it certainly was for Jesus. And so if we do a little bit of digging here, I think we can see what the issue is really. So uh, what I want us to look at are two allusions to the Old Testament that we see in this passage. Um, and, and I want us to look at them because it's going to help us to see what this temptation is. So we're going to look at these, these two allusions here in the Old Testament. First... Let's simplify things here for a minute. Uh, what is this story really about? Right? This is a story about the devil approaching man and promising him life by offering him food. Is that fair to say? Yeah? Satan tempts someone by saying, hey, eat this and you will have life. 
think some of you might see where we're going here. Genesis 3, man is in the garden. He's approached by the devil, and he's offered food. And Satan says, he says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He says, you will not surely die. Right? He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will, will be opened and you will be like God. In other words, Satan is contradicting the words of God. And he says, you're not going to die. Right? In fact, you'll be more alive. You will be like God. And similarly, in the, in the desert, Satan tells Jesus, if you listen to me, I can give you life. Do what I say and you will be made alive. To take this a little bit further, the temptation that we see here is Satan saying, God did not give you enough. Right? In the garden, humans had everything in the world that they could possibly have hoped for. And the one thing that they had, or the one thing that they didn't have, was the fruit from the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one thing that they did not have. And that's where Satan meets them. Right? And he tells them, God did not give you enough. But if you listen to me, I will give you life. This is the same temptation in the desert. In the desert, Jesus had absolutely nothing. And, G and Satan meets him, and he says, God did not give you enough. But listen to me, and I will give you life. Right? The sin in the garden wasn't that they just ate fruit. Right? It was that they listened to someone other than God. It was that they disbelieved that God had given them enough. And similarly in the desert, it would not have been a sin if Jesus had just eaten bread. But what Satan tries to do is persuade Jesus that God hasn't given him enough. Do what I say. Does God really love you? Right? If so, then why don't you have this one thing? Okay, so this is the, the first reference that I want us to see. Jesus proves he's the better Adam by not giving in to the temptation of Satan. Uh, let's look at the second reference here. For the second reference, what I want us to do is to look at the setting, okay? Setting in this series is going to play an important role in helping us to understand the passage. All right, so imagine today we as a church, we're going on a field trip. Is everyone excited for this? Yeah? All right, let's go. Uh, I say to everyone, all right, let's pile into the church van and we're going to go for a ride. So all of us, all, I don't know, however many we are, 40-ish people, we get into this church van, uh, obviously way too small, but we're going to go for a ride. So we cram into the van, and we start driving, and we stop, and we get out of the van, and I say, here we are, all right? We're here. We've, we've reached our destination. Our destination is 2493 Rue, du Rue Duvernay. How many of you would know why we were there? Probably not many of us, right? And that's okay, but if I took you to 2493 Duvernay, it would probably only be for one reason, right? And that's because that is where this church was started, right? That's the apartment that we first started meeting at as a church. And so the reason why I'd be taking you there is not because there's an open house, right? We're not going there to, to just look at this place. I'm not taking you there because I like the architecture, right? I'm taking you there because we've been there before. Right? That's a part of our history as a church. And so likewise, when we see Jesus here being led into the wilderness, we should ask the question, 
why are we here, right? What's the significance of this place? Where have we seen this before and what happened? So the setting for us is the wilderness or the desert. These two are kind of interchangeable. Um, so, th so this is the setting for us. A couple of thing, other things that will help us find this Old Testament reference is this. Jesus was there for how long? He's there for 40 days and nights. Keyword 40, right? Number 40 is going to help us understand where we're going. And then one other thing is that Jesus is hungry and he's offered bread. Okay? So where do we see bread given to those who are hungry in the desert? Someone give me the answer. Where, well, who is this re referring to? Yeah. I heard David say it first. No, you got it. That's right. That's right, though. He's referring to the Israelites that are in the desert, right? The, the Israelites spend 40 years in the desert after God had freed them from slavery in Egypt. And while they're there, they get hungry, and God provides bread for them. See how this is connecting here, right? They get manna from heaven, uh, but they're given a couple of conditions, right? They're given two conditions, right? The first one. Gather only what you need for one day. So they're, they're allowed to go out and collect the bread. And they can, the, God says, just get enough what you need for that one day. Okay, don't get any more. Don't be greedy and, and, and take a whole bunch because it's not going to last. Second condition is this. There's not going to be bread on the seventh day. Bread is going to come for six days. On the sixth day, he, they say, you can gather more on the sixth day. Get more for the, the sixth day and the seventh day on that day because there's not going to be any bread on the seventh day. And what do we see the Israelites do here? Right? They disregard what God had told them. First, they gather more than what they need. They try to take more bread. And on the next day, they look at the bread that they've collected, and it's full of worms. Right? It's disgusting, and they have to throw all of it away. Right? Second, they go out on the seventh day, and they try to get more bread. When God had said, there's not going to be any more bread out there, right? They, they, they go and, and, and they try to get more bread from, from uh, God on the, on the seventh day when he had told them there wasn't going to be any. And so while in this story we don't exactly see uh, Satan or the devil appear in the story here with the, the Israelites, the temptation is exactly the same. Do you trust God that he's given you enough? Right? It's clear that the Israelites don't believe it. They bring in more bread and they need to go out looking for more on the day when they've been told there is none. They do not trust God. God. And so to answer our question, what is this temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness? It is the same temptation that Adam faced. When you have everything, has God given you enough? You have absolutely everything but this one thing. Is there more that God's holding back from you? You could take it for yourself because God hasn't given you what you need. It's the same temptation that the Israelites face when you have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. Has God given you enough? It's the offer of life if you go against God's word. When you feel like you're lacking, will you disregard God's word to pursue what seems to be life for yourself? All right, so let's talk about that. What does this mean for us? I doubt any of you have ever been tempted to turn stones into bread. If you have, let's talk after. We can figure that all out. Um, but a lot of this, it comes down to integrity, right? This comes down to integrity. 
Okay? Maybe, maybe you've been tempted to lie to preserve your appearance, right? This can be particularly difficult when you're in the wrong. Who here has ever confessed some sin to someone else, but they, they kind of like omit some details because to like make themselves look better, right? Has anyone done that? I've done that, right? I've, uh, in the past, I've lied about uh, getting lost because I didn't want to like look stupid and be made fun of, right? So, so I would show up to a place and they'd be like, hey, what took you so long? I was like, yeah, I, uh, I stopped for coffee. Like, I haven't eaten all day. I didn't do that, right? How stupid was that for me to, like, lie about that, though, right? What it really did, though, is, is what it really is saying about myself is, like, I want to preserve myself. I want to preserve my appearance, right? I believe the lie. Go ahead and tell a lie. It's not going to hurt, Right? Did God really say that you couldn't do that? You will not surely die. In fact, you'll be more like God. You'll be like him because God, right? This is the, the, the lie, I believe. God is without sin. And if you lie and just tell, uh, you, it's just a small little lie, right? Go ahead and tell it. And you're going to appear that you're without sin. Like, you didn't get lost. It doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. Just, just tell this one little lie and preserve yourself. Don't make yourself look stupid. God didn't look stupid, right? That's a lie that, 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 that uh, you're believing there. Right? He says, take the life that I'm offering you. Preserve your own life. I know I've believed that lie before. Maybe you're tempted to, to steal. Maybe that's not walking into a store and taking something, right? But maybe that's like Wi-Fi or online software or streaming movies illegally, Right? Over the, the past couple of months, we've been working on developing our kids' ministry. And so we've been looking at a, a different curriculum that we can use that, that's been created by some other churches and some ministries. And I'll tell you that I've, we've had multiple offers from people um, that have access to some of the software and, and, and the, uh, the uh, curriculum to just say, hey, you know what? You can just have our login credentials so that we can have access to the material that we've paid for. And we've had to just say, no, we're not going to do that, right? We're not going to take something from someone else that we should have, that, 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 that we should be paying for uh, so that we can have a better kids ministry or we save 50 bucks a month or whatever that is, right? So the question is, when you're offered something that promises life, but it is contrary to God's word, what do you pursue? Right? Do you have integrity? Do you cut corners at your work? Do you sacrifice the integrity of the job for more money or to do something faster, something that offers life, right, but it cannot provide? Do you cheat on your homework? Maybe it, it relates to sexual integrity. Are you sleeping with your girlfriend or watching porn because you believe the lie that God hasn't given you enough? Are you okay obeying God's word even when it costs you? Because Jesus was. Right? Jesus was willing to obey even if it cost him his life. Even if he didn't eat another meal in his life, he would rather obey God than listen to Satan. So your, spiritual, your, your decisions have spiritual implications. You can choose obedience to God or you can choose autonomy and follow Satan. So if we want to follow God, how do we combat the lies of Satan? Right, let's look at how Jesus did. How does Jesus combat the lies of Satan? Three ways that I want us to see how he fought the lies of Satan. One, he knows his identity. Two, he knows God's word. And three, he knows God is enough. 
All right, let's look at the first one. He knows his identity. In verse 3, Satan says this. He says, if you are the son of God, that's how he says, that's how he starts this, this passage here. If you are the son of God. So Satan here questions his identity. And what we notice here, though, is that Jesus doesn't respond to it at all, right? I heard some of this week uh, talking about how powerful identity is. Um, I'll admit it, okay, I heard it from Tony Robbins. I don't know if you know who Tony Robbins is. I just thought it was wise, okay. I'm not a big, I don't get into like all that health, self-help stuff or whatever, but I listened to Tony Robbins, okay, the other day. Don't have to make fun of me, it's fine. Uh, so this is what he said. He said, uh, this is the example he used. So if I went up to, um, let's say I went up to Wesley. I said, hey, Wesley, uh, do you want a cigarette? Right? Wesley's not going to say to me, oh, what kind is it, right? He's going to say, no, I'm not a smoker, right? Notice that his response, though, is around his identity. I'm not a smoker. I'm not one of those people. Wesley would not be tempted to smoke because his identity is not that he, it is that he's not a smoker. Does that make sense? So similarly, Jesus knows his identity. He knows who he is. He's firmly rooted in the fact that he is the son of God. Right? He knows what it means to be God's son. It means trusting God no matter what. In fact, the, the verse just before this, right, we see that his identity has just been confirmed by the Father. Let's look at what it says at the very end of Matthew chapter 3. So this is as Jesus was baptized. And the voice of the Father, it calls down for heaven, from heaven, and it says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus knows his identity as the Son of God and knows it means allegiance to the Father. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a friend stay with us for a couple of days. Uh, he's the pastor who actually planted this church. He's now uh, a pastor in uh, Winnipeg, uh, in a church, at a church there in Winnipeg. He, he brought with him one of, uh, another one of the elders at his church, and his, this other elder, his name is Matt. And so we spent some time together. Matt uh, shared with us a little bit about his life over the past few years and how he's wrestled with identity in his own life. Um, and so I found this very valuable. And so let me share a little bit of what he, he told us. So I don't remember how old, old he is. He's probably late, late, four, or late 30s maybe or early 40s, something like that. He's still a, a relatively young guy. Matt has four daughters from the ages of, of 6 to 14 years old. And about, af, uh, about a month after his youngest daughter was born, uh, his wife passes away. Right? She's been battling cancer, and, and then right uh, after she gave birth to their baby, she loses her battle with it. And Matt is left without a wife, the mother of his four children. It's a tragic story and something that Matt really wrestled with a lot, having someone, uh, he, uh, someone that he loved taken away from him. And, and that was a big part of his identity for him, right? This is how he talks about identity now. Um, he says this, he says, if, if I was in a terrible accident and I was left in a coma, what would remain of who I am, right? What would be the only thing that would be true of me if I lost absolutely everything? He says, sure, I'd have like some of the, you know, the same eye color, same, same physical traits, whatever, but what's the only thing of significance that's, that would remain about who I am if I lost absolutely everything? He says that I'm a child of God. 
right, that I'm loved by the God of the universe. If I lost everything in the world, that would never change. God's love for me will always remain the same. And so my identity is firm in that. And this is coming from a man who was married for many years and had an identity as a husband, and that was taken away from him. But knowing that he is a child of God is enough for him. And so that's a question I would pose to you. If you lost everything, if you were in a coma, or if you were alone in the middle of the desert and had absolutely nothing, is it enough that you are loved by God? Do you know your identity as a child of God? Jesus did. So first, Jesus knows his identity. Second, he knows God's word. We'll see this throughout the, our, our series, is that every time Satan tries to tempt Jesus, Jesus responds by quoting scripture. What does he say in verse 4? He says, it says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 8. Again, the context of this is the Israelites in the desert. And it says this, it says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you, could, you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It goes on to say, your clothing did not wear out on, on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Knowing God's word is crucial to fighting temptation because if we don't know God's word, we will be deceived. It's what happened in the garden with the serpent. It's what happened in the wilderness with the Israelites. In each situation, they were deceived because they didn't know God's word. And so as a church, we place high value on the word of God. That's why we preach from it every Sunday. That's why in our discipleship groups, we incorporate reading scripture together. And in our members' gatherings, there's often a component of teaching from the word as well. Because we believe that it is the means for knowing who God is. And his word is the source for spiritual life. 2 Timothy 3 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Know, too, that we don't just know God's word to have better head knowledge of God. Right? As we see here, knowing God's word is directly tied to obeying God's word. It's to be equipped for every good work, as Timothy puts it. It's for keeping the commandments, as Deuteronomy puts it. It's for fighting temptation, as Matthew puts it. This is not about just knowing more stuff about the Bible. This is uh, having the integrity to apply it to your life. It is to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Let us respect God's word enough to know it and to live by it. So if you're interested in, in knowing your Bible better... You can come talk to us. Come talk to me. We would love to get you connected to a discipleship group to help you understand God's word better. Um, 
or, uh, or we have a, a wonderful partnership with a seminary in the city called Movement Seminary, which we've talked about in the past. They offer courses on the Bible for cheap and sometimes for free. They currently have one going on right now, which I know some of the guys in, the, in this church are going through. And they're going to have another one happening in February. And so we partner with them because we want to see people in this city trained in God's word and living it out. So we see Jesus fights temptation by knowing his identity, and he fights temptation by knowing God's word. Finally, we see he fights temptation by knowing that God is enough. When Jesus was in the desert, he was alone and tired and weak and hungry, and he rejects the offer to listen to the devil even though it promised him life. When Jesus had nothing, it was enough because Doing God's will was more important than even his life. He lacked nothing because he was satisfied with the Father's love. Jesus says, I don't need whatever you're offering because I'm satisfied doing the will of God. I'm doing, do, doing the will of the Father. He would rather die than, than betray the Father. And what we see is that his source of life is not found in food but in the power of God himself. Jesus did this in the power of the Spirit and so can we. In fact, so must we. We don't pass these tests on our own. We don't defeat temptation by our own willpower or by our own knowledge. Right? Our own self will tell us the same lie that Satan told. Do, you, do what I say and you will have life. Right? Does God really love you? Did he really give you enough? That comes from yourself, your nature. And so it is necessary to do this by the Spirit because the Spirit guides us to do things like Christ, to obey God and to say God is enough. So I would invite you to, to think about that for yourself. Is, is it enough to trust and obey God if all you had was him? We're going to wrap up in, in just a minute. Before we do so, I want us to, to look at another passage here really quick. Um, this would not be the last time Jesus faced this temptation. Right? Jesus faces it one last time at the end of the book of Matthew. If we remember the, the language that the devil used here, he said, if you are the son of God, right? If you are the son of God. And he, he proceeds to offer him life. And what we see is this echoes the chants of the crowd as Jesus was crucified. It said, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. They say, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let, him, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. It says, and the, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Don't believe God and give yourself life is what he's tempted with on the cross. Right? And Jesus did the opposite. He gave up his life. He stayed up on the cross. He gave his life so that you and I could have eternal life. As he was dying and being mocked, he could have chosen life for himself. Right? And he chose life for others. 
Right? This is what it looks like to pass the test. It is selflessly trusting God the Father, not putting our hope in false things that promise hope but cannot deliver. We do so through faith in Jesus and by his spirit. And when we, when we do, we will receive true life, eternal life, true joy, true acceptance, true love, because the one who offers it has access to it. We can receive this life by putting our faith in Jesus, the one who passed the test, the one firm in his identity as the son of God, the one who always obeyed the father even when it cost him his life. There is no hope in, in anything other than through Jesus. So how will you respond when you feel like you don't have enough? You will be tested if God alone is enough. You will be tempted to pursue life outside of what God offers. And the choice is listen to, when, to, to God when things don't make sense or ignore God, doubt his goodness, and take for yourself what you believe will give you life. So whatever you have in life, whether it's abundance or little, know your identity as a child of God. Know God's word and know that God is enough. We're, we're going to take some time to, to take communion together. Um, communion is an important uh, time for us as believers because it is when we reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. And so Jesus... Uh, before he died, he just told his disciples to do this in remembrance of him. And so we take the bread and the juice as symbolic of his body broken and his blood shed for us. Uh, before we do this, though, I want to read this from John 6. I was reading this through, throughout the week. Um, this is what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.